So again, here, uh, here in, a, in a few minutes, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, beginning in, we'll be in verse 16 through 21, and then we've got some other New Testament texts we're going to look at uh, as we continue on uh, a topic I started a few weeks ago, back before Easter, and um, it was still in the midst of our series, What is a Healthy Church?, and in particular, asking the question uh, in, in light of the, the marks of a healthy church, what defines, identifies a church as being a healthy church, and we are looking then at the mark of mission. What is the mission? You could also use the word purpose. You could even use the word vision. These are words that get bandied about in church life today. Uh, sometimes, well, much of the time, I don't appreciate the conversation, but it's not an invalid concept, and so we're going we're gonna to continue to take a look at what the church's mission should be. So here's how I want to start. I've got some mission statements from well-known companies. All of you know all of these companies. And I want to see if you can identify them based on their mission statement. All right? Some mission statements are clear, and then some are not. So let's see if you can get it. Here's one. To give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. Facebook. Very good. All right. Some of you said that really quick. Spend too much time on Facebook. All right. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing you. All right. This one is another one, but that's pretty readily identifiable, isn't it? Especially the language of share. Okay. Here's another one I think you'll get right away. To be the, and it's, it's aggressive, but I think they've succeeded. All right. To be the earth's, that's bold, to be the earth's most customer-centric company where customers can find and discover anything they might want to buy online. Amazon. And it's, they've pretty well achieved that, right? I mean, they, that's, that's impressive. Here's another one. I think you'll get this one. To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Google. What did you say, Bill? Democrats. I've never found them very accessible at all or useful. No, I'm just kidding, all right? Some of you may be. It's just a joke, all right. But no, Google. Google is, uh, that's, that's their mission statement. How about this one? We save people money so they can live a better life. IRS, ah, that's good, yeah, IRS. You're, yeah, you're too close to Bill, that is the problem. We're way too close to Bill, the snark does expand, all right? You, you all reluctantly go there every week. Walmart, that's it, Walmart, okay? Now, here's a few more, here's one, maybe you'll get, if I stress a word, I think you'll get it. To inspire, even though it's a weird one to begin with, to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. Starbucks. Now, if you take out the word cup, though, you don't have any idea, right? Did you realize drinking Starbucks inspires and nurtures the human spirit? Now, I agree, coffee does. All right, maybe not Starbucks, but I agree. That coffee does. Here's one. To be a company that inspires and fulfills your curiosity. If somebody gets this, I will be 
deeply impressed. Okay, I, I mean, yeah, Apple would be something I might would think of. It's not. It's not Apple. It's not Twitter. It's Sony. Sony, right? You know, the electronics company. Let me read that one to you again. To be a company that inspires and fulfills your curiosity. Seems like a bad mission statement, right? In other words, I cannot identify what it is that you are doing to inspire and fulfill my curiosity. Uh, Here's one, to refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. And if I remove that first phrase, to refresh the world, you have no idea that's Coca-Cola, right? You have no idea. Put to refresh the world, and maybe to bring peace, right? And harmony by the world of Coke, okay? So, that, that, this is, that is Coca-Cola's. Now, when you, when you look at all these, these are just some of the examples. Some of them are good, some of them are okay, and some of them are just odd. And yet, my guess is every single one of these businesses have spent thousands and thousands, and some maybe even six to seven figures to write this stuff. It's a big deal in the business world. To have a mission statement to clearly identify what your product is, what you want your customer to do with that product. Now, it goes without saying, I'm not a businessman, all right? I never have been, but it makes sense to me. You want to be able to connect not only your employers uh, and employees to what it is that you are making, but you want to connect it to the customer. So you need to have this statement that makes sense. If, If your mission does not line up with what you're doing, they call this mission creep. And this is, this is a way to identify what is potentially a dysfunctional organization. Did you know, some of you may know this, did you know General Motors? For a while, I don't know if they still do, for a while General Motors, their number one source of income was financing. In other words, they were primarily a finance company than they were an automobile maker. They, they, they made far more money financing the cars than they did actually just selling the cars. So that would just be an example. This happens in the business world that, that in fact, an organization may not line up with what its stated purpose or mission should be. Now, this kind of thing can happen in the church. Churches find themselves either not caring at all what the mission is. That's one side of it. In other words, we're just going to get together and hang out because we've been doing it for 100 years and we hope other folks will like to join us and just hang out, and so it'll continue for another hundred years. In other words, it's kind of this ambiguous, generalized, well, we've always been here, we've always done it this way, and this is who we are, we're just kind of this group that gathers, we sing some, we preach some, we serve some, Uh, every now and then we have special activities. All right, so in other words, it's very uh, loosely defined. Then you have churches that I think go to the other extreme, and they are nothing more than corporations and add Jesus to it. In other words, they come up with really snazzy marketing campaigns. They develop really high-dollar mission, vision, values, purpose statements. They talk about, you know, the developing these these really catchy slogans. They put banners up and they they produce material that's slicky, right? And and really is impressive and, and kind of communicates what this church is all about. In some cases, these churches have gone to great lengths to search out their vision, their purpose, 
their mission in the world. Now, we're going to avoid both those extremes. I don't want to just be fundamentally a social club that adds Jesus to it, right? We're not interested in that, right? I hope you're not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. There are other avenues for that. This shouldn't be one of them. Not that you can't socialize. I just mean that's not our primary point. But on the other end, I also don't want to bleed into this, you know, where, where you end up hearing a lot of sermons on Starbucks, Google, and Amazon, all right? And to be fair, I think it's the first time I've ever referenced this kind of thing in a sermon before, where, where we're really nothing but a corporation that adds Jesus to it. The truth is, we don't have to go out and search. We don't have to go out and, and go to the mountaintop. We don't, God doesn't have to give us super-duper spiritual insight to figure out what the mission of the church should be. It's fairly straightforward, quite frankly. The question is, has, is the church faithfully identifying and then applying what is God's mission for His church? And let's put this really simply. The church's mission should be nothing more and nothing less than cooperating with God's mission. I know it seems really straightforward. I know it lacks pizzazz, right? I know that's, that's not going to make it onto a banner anywhere, all right? I know that, that, that doesn't seem edgy, it doesn't seem hip, and it doesn't seem cool. But I think that is the biblical material. I think the Bible <clears throat> presents us a picture of a God who is at work in His world, and He's created a people to be engaged in that work all for His glory. So this is what we started looking at a few weeks ago, the mark of mission. What is, then, the mission of God, which in turn, I think, means it is our mission. So, we're looking at three aspects of God's mission. you got a lot of verses on there. We're not looking at all these verses. Some of these, I would encourage you to go back and look at at your own. We've already looked at number one. We did this a few weeks ago. First aspect of God's mission, that God is a saving God. So, there's no PowerPoint. You just have to put the word saving in the blank. God is a saving God. What does that mean? Well, God's at work in His world reversing the curse. That's what He's doing. God is at work in His world to redeem people to Himself in Christ Jesus. He's doing that to the the furthest reaches of this globe. God is at work in the hearts of people undoing what was done at the fall in the Garden of Eden. This this is the storyline of the Bible. If you look at the Bible from its bigger picture, from its overarching storyline, it gives us God's creation, then the fall, then what's called redemption, how God is at work redeeming people as a result of the fall, and then there's glorification. Four parts to the story that is the Bible. And all of them are centered on one thing. And that is God doing what only God can do by His grace to save people to, to, to save people from their sin, to save them from the curse, the curse of death, bring them back into life, guarantee them life forevermore. Now, again, I, I think this is an important way to start because I think it does fuel other things than that we should be doing as a church and the two other aspects we'll get to tonight. To understand that God is, I mean, at, at His very essence, this is what God is at work doing. Among all the other things, we might wonder, what, you know, what's God doing when this thing happens or that thing happens? 
In fact, we often get bogged down in some of these frustrating questions, and they can be. We find ourselves struggling through the pain and the the difficulties of life, the trials of life, and we see suffering around the globe, and we ask ourselves, what in the world is God doing? Well, I can tell you this at its very essence. God is at work saving people. He's at work saving people. And if God has already saved someone, I've got good news for you, because then part of God's work includes ensuring that saved person will get to the end perfect and complete. Now, why why do we bring this up? Well, because as a church, then we should be intensely focused on God's saving purposes, on God's redeeming purposes. For all the things that people might say a church should be about, if a church is not zealous for the salvation of God, the church isn't functioning properly. This is what we should long to see. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we'll see them saved in droves. That's not our job. Our job's not to save anybody. That's what God's doing. That's what God's doing. So I want to be a part of that. Not that I'm going to save anybody because I'm not. But I do want to cooperate with that work. So then what does that look like? Well, that goes on then to number two. God is ascending God. God is a saving God. And so God is a sending God. Now, you take a look again at Scripture and you find... More than one occasion, this language then of God sending His messengers to accomplish His purposes. Actually, the language of sending begins fairly early, right? Remember a guy named Abraham? God did what? Sent him out. Sent him out because He told him, you're going to be a a mighty nation, right? You're going to be a mighty nation that is going to be the father of one who will be a blessing to the nations. In other words, God's very formation of the nation of Israel that began with Abraham, and Abraham then being sent out to the land that I will show you, the sending work of God was connected to a saving work. Because God is a saving God, God is about the business of sending people out with that message of salvation. Think about another key figure in the Old Testament, Moses. You get to the book of Exodus, what does God do with Moses? Comes to him through the fiery bush, right? And says, I'm sending you to Egypt to free my people from captivity. And what is Exodus? Entire book of Exodus is one massive picture of the work of redemption through Christ for sinners. By the way, I'm not saying it's not literal. It was all literal events. It's not an allegory, but why did all those events happen? Why, why the exodus? Why the judgment in Egypt? Why, why the, the Passover? Why these, these features of the tabernacle? We, we studied this for some time because the book of Exodus is one, one big sermon illustration about Christ. And so this, this again, is, this is God's saving work. And how is He engaged in the saving work? He's using men and women as middle men and women. We're the go-between. We're a medium that God uses to communicate His saving message. God is a sending God. He sends us out. Then the most famous one in the Old Testament, you remember Isaiah? Remember Isaiah's vision where he sees in Isaiah chapter 6, he sees God high and lifted up. 
the cherubim and the seraphim, and we see these, these impressive messengers, angels, creations of God, feet covered, eyes covered, with two wings they flew, right? And, and what happens when Isaiah, when, when, he, when he hears the song that comes from them, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and it says that the place shakes. And what does Isaiah say? Woe's me, I'm undone. Now we hear that word, and I don't know if, you know if you've ever looked more carefully at that term, when Moses says, I'm undone, it's really graphic, by the way. He means, I'm being ripped apart from the inside out. I'm being torn apart. That literally means, it feels like I'm being torn apart from the inside out. Because of God's holiness, and because of the depth of my sin, woe, woe, woe is me, I'm, I'm unclean. And so an angel brings a coal from the altar of God, touches his lips. Isaiah is cleansed. Many describe this as like, like Isaiah's conversion. All right? It is his, 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 his calling then into, into the greater service God had for him. Because then following that, what is it that, that Isaiah hears? Here's the voice of God, the triune God. Whom, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And what is it that Isaiah responds? Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah recognized that what God was going to do was to use him as a messenger to, to to his people. Much of that message was going to be a very difficult message. Much of that message was going to be a redemptive message. Some of the greatest statements about the gospel are found in Isaiah's prophecy. Some even call Isaiah a gospel of the Old Testament. Because of some of the rich passages dealing with the work of Christ to come. So we have this Old Testament language. God is ascending God. And this then bleeds into the New Testament. And you've got some verses there that you could look up. We won't look at those. I think I put on your notes. This, this shows up then in the life of Christ. Luke chapter 4 verse 43. Jesus says, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. And I give you a string of verses, and these are not the only ones. String of verses where Jesus describes his purpose in these terms that his mission was one thing. I am sent to do, you fill it out. I am sent to do what? The will of my Father. Jesus understood himself as being sent from God for the purpose of preaching the gospel, for the purpose of preaching the message of the kingdom of God. This this was a fundamental understanding of of his point on the planet. That's not to make any less then of the cross and the resurrection. To me, when Jesus talks about his mission, he talks about being sent from God for this purpose. God is ascending God. Then we have Jesus taking this to his disciples. John 20, verse 21. I don't know how you can state it any clearer. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now understand, to what degree does that mean? I mean, that doesn't mean that now you are to go out and die on a cross for the sins of somebody else. All right, We know that's not what he's talking about, of course. Just as God has sent me with the message of the kingdom and I fulfilled that message and I've made whole that work, so I send you. 
sends you out into the world. Sending you with the message of the gospel. God is a saving God. God is about the business of redeeming people to Himself in Christ Jesus. How is God at work doing that? How is God getting the gospel to the hearts and the minds of people who need to be saved? God's using His people to do that. Let me ask you a question, church. Does God have to do it this way? No. I mean, philosophically, right? No, He doesn't. God God could send His message of the gospel any number of ways, couldn't He? In fact, we've talked much about the role of the Holy Spirit. Couldn't the Holy Spirit just pop up in somebody's mind and whammo, blammo, right? You're saved. I don't know if the Spirit will say blammo, but I mean, couldn't that be what, you know, couldn't He do it that way? Well, sure, He could. Has He? It's not the work of salvation. It's not the work of the Spirit. But understand, there is this expectation. We are cooperating with this divine work of God. That involves us being sent. Now, I've had you turn here to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look with me beginning in verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Well, notice this next phrase. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Did, did you notice again the language here? It is, it is similar language, though perhaps a little slightly different. It's not the word sent is used explicitly, but is this not the purpose? The language of being an ambassador, I think that's such helpful language. Because what is an ambassador's function? An ambassador here from another country, or one of our ambassadors in another country. What is, what is their function? Do they get to, well, maybe they do, But should they just spout off whatever they think and want to think and whatever they believe? Is that what ambassadors do? Ambassadors are official mouthpieces, right? For the country they come from. Boy, what a a profound image. This church, I would remind you, what country are you really from? country that is not of this world. You are a citizen of a much bigger kingdom, of a much better kingdom, and you are an ambassador for it. And the expectation placed upon us is that we would recognize 
our role. If you're talking about the mission of the church, what is the mission of the church? The mission of the church is to cooperate with God's mission. And God's mission is saving and sending. He is redeeming people to Himself in Christ and He's using us as ministers of reconciliation. He's using us as ambassadors as though He were imploring people Himself through us. A means to His end. I think a verse like this, I think these, these kinds of ideas, this idea that God is ascending God, really does help us cut through what is some of the misunderstanding about what church should be about. Because I just wonder, if you, if you were to go around in a lot of churches, maybe here, maybe here on Sunday morning, maybe even some here tonight on a Sunday night, were to ask, so what is church all about? How long before you get to something like this? How far down the list before you say, the church is the medium through which God is using to communicate the, law, the world, to communicate the gospel to a lost and dying world. How far down the list do we get before we hit that one? Because if there's anything above it, beyond the ultimate purpose of man, which we've talked about, and that is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, if there's anything then above this fundamental purpose of God, then you've missed the point of church. You've missed the point. We, we are a part of God's sent ones. And He expects us to do that. Now let, let's illustrate this. Anybody here? Have you ever sent somebody to do something and they didn't do it quite right? Alright, parents, you ever sent a kid on a task? Could, could you go get my cell phone? And they bring back a roll of toilet paper? True story. Alright, so I mean, I don't know. I don't know how, how, does the, how does this communicate through the air, you know, at that point? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm sure I did the same thing, right, to my parents. And, and sometimes I will say things. Could you go fill in the blank? They go fill in the blank themselves. They bring back what they filled in the blank with. And I look at it and think, what, what has happened here? What, what, has gone, what has gone wrong in this fundamental task and assignment? Here's another one. Spouses, have you ever given a grocery list and not come back with the grocery? All right, I know I just created the thing for some of you. I see the looks, all right, okay. In other words, have you ever looked at the list and you were sent for something and you came back with something else? I mean, I've, I've gone to the grocery, sent for a specific thing, did not even get that thing, but got about 20 other things, all right? In other words, I, I did do something, I just didn't accomplish the test, task. But this might get more serious. Have you ever had an important message you needed to communicate to someone, and you asked somebody to communicate that message for you, and it did not get communicated to the other person? Now, in some cases, that could have pretty serious consequences, Right? Say it's an emergency situation. Call up somebody. Could you please call so-and-so and and let them know this has happened? You want to get that message right, don't you? Church, you know what I'm worried about? I'm worried that God has made His mission very plain and very simple. But we've decided to do the task in our own way. What I'm really concerned about is the way a lot of churches don't even get the message right. They're not even communicating the message right. But let me suggest a problem that's just as much a problem. There's the church out there. There are churches out there that are doing a lot of communicating of a message. 
They are aggressive in evangelism and sharing a message. But it's not the right gospel. It's not the full gospel. That's dangerous, right? Isn't it just as dangerous if a church knows the right gospel? Doesn't share it? Is not the end result the same? If the lost world out there is hearing the wrong message, what's going to be the result? Not salvation, right? If that same lost world out there is not hearing the message at all, what's going to be the result? The same deal. Are we engaged with what is God's sending work? This is what He's told us to do. And so again, this gets to the heart of evangelism. What is the mission of God? He's saving people. How is God about the work of saving people? He's using us as a means to His end. Sending God. Let me give you one last one here. And that is also that God is a sanctifying God. God is a sanctifying God. There's some texts there I would encourage you to read. We're only going to turn our attention to one of them because it's straightforward and simple. Uh, And uh, I'm not necessarily one who does like life verses. I've never really been that kind of guy. Some of you may, and I'm not disparaging it necessarily. As long as you recognize there's a bunch of other verses you should be reading as well. All right? Uh, But to to look at one passage in particular that's been meaningful to me in, in ministry. But if you look at Matthew 28, 16, don't turn there. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. You know this text, right? Go and make converts. Disciple. Disciples, right? In fact, if you read Romans 8, 28 through 31, which is a text we will get to, all right? This gives you kind of the whole breadth of God's saving work. Those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. If you read Ephesians then 4, 11 through 16 which is also, I think, a very critical text here uh, because it says God has given to the church um, those in positions of leadership and has gifted people for the purpose of edifying the church, of knitting the church together, of ensuring that the church will be a body that grows, grows in doctrine, grows grows in truth, grows in love, grows in obedience, to to grow into, into into a perfect and mature body of believers. Now, I bring all these up because then, then, then we recognize God's work goes beyond the sending work of evangelism. God is also sanctifying people. In other words, God is at work making people like Christ. And so part of the mission of the church should be a disciple-making mission. Really, it's almost like you shouldn't divide evangelism and discipleship, though we do. But you probably shouldn't divide these two. If you do evangelism without discipleship, I, I mean, I guess that's like having a baby and never feeding the baby. All right? In other words, you, know, that's, that's, you, you can have believers, unfortunately though, this can happen, if you don't feed a baby, the baby's going to die. There can be believers who are converted who then get their, their growth is stunted because there's no engagement in discipleship. And so you've got people who've been believers for years who are baby Christians in essence. So we don't, we don't want to separate it. We also you know, don't want to just, just dismiss the idea of going out and, and sharing the gospel, you know, wanting to see people saved and converted to Christ, and then, then discipling them. In other words, we don't want to dismiss the idea of evangelism. We just don't want to separate it uh, from the idea of discipleship. God's about this work of making disciples. So turn with me just to probably a few pages, pages over. Colossians chapter 1. 
Colossians chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 24, though the focus is really 28 and 29. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, fill up in my flesh what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God. Now, this is kind of classic Paul describing his own philosophy of ministry, his commitment to ministry. Earlier in Colossians, he's already laid out what is one of the most profound statements about the nature of Christ. Uh, about how God in Christ then is reconciling people to Himself. And then, then Paul says, and, and, and now I'm, I rejoice in this call. I'm a steward of God. I'm a steward on behalf of His church. Then verse 26, what, what, is, what does he mean when he says to fulfill the Word of God? The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints... That just means it was the message of the gospel contained in types and shadows of the Old Testament. When he says the word mystery, he doesn't mean like a, like a whodunit, all right, murder kind of mystery. He means instead that which has been progressively revealed and now in its fullness revealed in Christ. So this is the mystery of the gospel. Uh, verse 27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, so this again is getting to what is Paul's very clear sense of his mission. It's, it's, it's cooperating with God's mission. God has willed that there would be those who would hear and respond to the gospel. And this is what he sees himself as a steward of. I'm a steward of this ministry. I'm a steward of this mission. And this is all... Uh, you know, for the sake of his, his own glory, and then verses 28 and 29, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. I think that's just so clarifying for me. It's just so simplifying for me. Verse 28 in particular. It's just always resonated. I've always loved the, what, again, what is the straightforward nature of that. So what are we doing? We're preaching Christ. We're preaching Christ. Part of that, we're preaching out of a warning. Because there are consequences for sin. There's consequences for rejecting the gospel. We're also teaching them in all wisdom. We're, we're teaching the truth of the gospel and how it applies to every aspect of life. And what is our purpose? To present every man perfect in Christ. And... Ladies, he means every person there. All right, he says man, okay? But he's not just talking about men, literally men. He's talking about every person. That we would present everyone perfect in Christ. Now, in other words, you, you look at what is the fundamental mission of God. What is God doing? He's saving people. He's doing that by redeeming people to himself in Christ. How is he getting that message out? He's sending his people out. And then in sending them out with the gospel, he is saving people through the power of the gospel as men and women are his his means to an end, that they might then be aligned with other brothers and sisters in Christ for the purpose of continuing to make them like Christ. 
So church, here's what I think we should be doing. I think it is this simple. We should be cooperating with God's saving, sending, and sanctifying mission. I think this, this would be the mark of a healthy church. Are we doing this kind of thing? Is this a church that is faithful to cooperate with what God is doing? Are we going out? Are we sharing? Are, are we being tools in God's hand? And is this a church? Is this a body of believers? Is this a place God can trust new converts to. Will people be discipled here? Whatever else you might think church would be and should be, if it doesn't encompass this, it's not a healthy church. It's not a healthy church. I don't care how good the socials are don't care how charming your preacher is. don't care how great the music is. We have solid children's ministry and youth ministry. In other words, we can have really good programs people like to come to. We can just be real friendly and enjoy one another. So what? So what? If people are not being brought into a saving relationship with Christ and then discipled into Christ-likeness, then we're missing something. This is the mark of a healthy church. And this is what I pray we continue to move toward, that we continue to be a place that is cooperating with God's saving, sending, and sanctifying work. The mark of mission. All right, we got one more mark we're going to deal with, and that's going to be the mark of leadership. We'll deal with the mark of leadership. I'm going to go ahead and warn you here. Don't you love it when I do this? No, you don't. All right, I'm going to warn you here. I'm going to use a word in a couple of weeks in particular. I'm not changing anything. So let me preface that, all right? But I am going to use the word elder. I'm going to use the word elder. We're going to talk about that. Some of you are thinking, big deal, I don't know what you're talking about. All right, great, we'll see what that means, okay? Uh, but we're, we're going to talk about what I think are the two primary offices of leadership in the church. That is the office of elder, which I would include the pastor as that, okay? In other words, I think that's a synonymous term with pastor. We're going to talk about that office, my, mine, and then we're also going to talk about the office of deacon. We're going to talk about these as, as marks of a healthy church, that these are properly understood and functioning in the life of a church, uh, and we're going to consider then exactly what does the Bible say about both of these positions of leadership in the church. What, what should that look like in a church body? So that, that'll be our, our final mark uh, of the church. All right, let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for gathering us, and thank you for this day. Uh, grateful again, we can be with your people, and we can uh, join hearts and minds together before you. We pray you've been blessed by us. We look forward to the week that is before us. We want to live it in faith and obedience to you, and so we trust our lives into your hands, knowing that you are good and gracious and sovereign, knowing that, that we are people who can cooperate with the work that you're doing in our lives, and that we can be faithful to that. And so, Father, we, uh, we choose even now to, to do just that, to say we are going to live uh, in light of what you have commanded us and empowered us to be and do in the gospel so may, may we be tools in your hands and means to your end. Use us for your glory. And we'd be faithful, courageous, bold, 
loving, kind, merciful uh, as we live the work of the gospel in our lives and as we share it with the lost and dying world. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.